Good morning, Eddie. Thank you so much, man. That was great. Wasn't that wonderful? Give him a hand. I think that was... Yeah. So I got a political text first thing this morning when I woke up. It's like, dude, it's Sunday morning. All right, who's tired of the elections? Be honest. There we go. Yeah, it's not just that. It's like, so text uh, Sunday morning, text all the time, television commercials. Television commercials? Really? Oh, my goodness. Every time you turn around, it's somebody bashing somebody. I guess, where's all this stuff coming from? And we look at our world in general. It just kind of keeps going. It keeps going. It keeps going. It's bigger and bigger. And there's just this attitude of, I do what I want, right? Everywhere we go, I do what I want. And this isn't even a COVID thing. It's just systematic of kind of the world we live in. So I kind of laugh a few weeks ago, uh, Dennis and I are talking about today, we're talking about this sermon. And he was like, we're talking about what we preach. And, you know, I didn't know if it was a theme or a direction or a book we were going to stay within. And Dennis is like, hey, man, you can preach whatever you want. And I'm like, yes, whatever I want. But, you know, we kind of expect that from our children, right? We expect that from the less mature. I was looking through some pictures the other day, and uh, my, I have a son who's 11, and when he was four, it was, it was real bad about it. He'd get up in the middle of the night and just kind of go where he wanted to be in the bed with us. He'd just go wherever. So we're looking at these pictures. Now, don't put the picture on yet uh, because I just realized that my wife's in the room and I haven't told her I was doing this. Um, so my son comes and climbs into the bed with us and he thinks it's a great time. Look at this. He thinks it's a great time to start taking selfies at three o'clock in the morning. And listen, it's not just one. There's like a hundred of them. Selfie after selfie after selfie. It's like 30 minutes of going, <laughs> I'd do whatever I want, right? And we kind of laugh at that. But you know, that's kind of the, the world we live in. In my world, uh, again, I'm a student pastor. So if this is your first time visiting, make sure you come back next week. It'll get better, I promise. Um, but we, we, we look at the world in my counseling in my meetings, in my whatever I'm doing in my ministry, it's negative, 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 negative. So I'm in a meeting not too long ago, I don't remember, a week or so ago, and I'm having a problem paying attention to the meeting because it occurs to me that it's all, it's all an attack. It's all Satan attacking this situation. I start thinking about all these other situations, and it's just Satan, attack after attack after attack. And me personally, when I preach, when I do ministry, I don't want to be that guy. The devil's going to get you. I don't want to be that guy. But you know what? He's trying. Isn't he trying? And we just kind of get back and we look at that and we, we don't take it very seriously. But we should, right? I served in a church several years ago where there was this pastor. And, and he would say this phrase over and over and over. Uh, the, the devil comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And he, he would say that phrase over and over and over. So normally when I speak, there's one phrase or one concept that if, if, listen, if I don't say anything else, I want you to get this, okay? This is it. Today, it's in John 10, 10. Listen, if you don't get anything, get this. Look at this. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, Lord, I love you. I praise you for today and the freedom we have to come and focus on you and your word. Lord, I pray today that you take me out of this equation and you just put 
yourself in this room in such a way that when we leave this place, that we're closer to you and each other in a mighty way. In Christ Jesus' name I pray, amen. So where did all this start? You know what's fascinating is what we know. If you've got a Bible, go to Genesis chapter three. Genesis chapter three, open up your Bible. If you're new at this, it's okay. Open it up, go all the way to the left. Just a little ways in, you're gonna find Genesis chapter three. And we find a passage of scripture in the Garden of Eden. And I would imagine for most of us who are believers, this is a passage we know about. This is a story that probably a lot of us could even, could even get up here and, and talk about. But today I wanna to look at it from a slightly different, ver- or different point of view and three things that I think we all need to hear right now. And the first one is simple. In Genesis 3, verse 1, Satan will cast doubt. Listen to the scripture. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? And we kind of laugh at that, right? I mean, that just seems so crazy and it's so simplistic. And as, as a believer who grew up in the church has heard this story for years, you know, I know this is a devil, these tempting, blah, blah, blah. But you know, a lot of people don't. As I dug into this over the last few weeks, I found a, a really fascinating concept of an argument between this snake and is it really the devil? Is it really the tempter? Well, we know it is, not just because I'm telling you or not because what we assume, but there are all these other, there are other places in scripture that point to this. And I think it's only fair that I take a look at one of them, Revelation 12. You don't have to turn there. I've got it on the screen. Revelation 12, verse nine, listen to this. The great dragon was hurled down. The ancient serpent called the devil or Satan who leads the world astray. He was hurled to the earth and his angels with him. And when I look at this, you know, this just, I read this, I looked this up, just kind of to reinforce or to to prove my point from where I'm going, but there's actually one word in this that's fascinating. Listen to this one little section one more time. Who leads the whole world astray. Do you guys catch that? Present tense, leads. Now, realizing that this was written 2,000 years ago, it's still very much true today. Satan is leading our world astray. And he starts with that, he starts that very simply, very in, in a really small way, by simply casting doubt. But when we look at this passage and we see the gravity, the bigness of this, it's actually much deeper, and I'll even say much more sinister than that. I don't normally quote a lot of commentaries, but I read this one phrase, it kind of blew me away. Look at this by Matthew Henry. Listen, Satan assaulted our first parents to draw them to sin and the temptation proved fatal to them. Wow. Now, when I was a little kid and I heard this story for the first time, I actually don't remember doing that, but even as an adult, when we look at this passage, don't we kind of giggle and blow it off? There's a talking snake in the garden and he's arguing with the first people. And we were just like, okay, he's tempted. That's bad. We need to stay away from that, right? No, no, no. Listen to the way this is worded. When we hear this, we really see the gravity of what's going on with here. Satan assaulted the first parents and it proved fatal to them. Wow. That's a totally different change of direction. That ought to be a very sobering moment for that for us. But the, the problem is 
He doesn't stop there. He keeps going. Listen to this in verse 2. The second thing, not only was Satan cast doubt, Satan will twist the truth. Look at verse 2. The woman said to the serpent, May we eat from the fruit of the trees of the garden? But about, or excuse me, but we, but excuse me, we may eat the fruit from the trees in the garden. But about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, you must not eat it or touch it or you will die. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. Did you catch this? He turns it immediately negative. And we are good at that, aren't we? Immediately, we turn things negative. She is so focused on the negative that she forgets all the wonderful positives that are going on in her life. Now, I have no idea what the Garden of Eden actually looked at. I love doing children's church and children's ministry when we talk about the Garden of Eden and we talk about what it would, must have been like. Were there unicorns and lots of baby panda bears in the Garden of Eden? I don't know. I would like to think that there were. I kind of doubt it. But I do know this. It was lush. There was plenty of food. There was plenty of water. It was a beautiful, relaxing environment. And regardless of all the air, regardless of all the positives that were going on, she made it negative. He took that little teeny bit of truth and twisted it. So when we read this passage of Scripture and he says, no, you will not die. You remember she said, even if you touch it, you'll die. Now, I don't know about you guys, but I hear that in my house all the time. My middle daughter, this is a common phrase to my son. If you touch this, I will kill you. <laughs> Who's heard that in their house? Yeah, of course we've all heard that. And then we see that she's so focused on the negative that she can't enjoy the positives. Hey, you want me to show you all the most amazing positive thing ever in the history of ever? You ready? This isn't science. It's not magic. I'm about to blow you away. Here we go. Now, this is, this is audience participation. You don't just look at me like I'm an idiot. Actually, take part, right? Okay, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to take it a deep breath. Hold it for a few seconds. Are you ready? One, two, three. <gasps> hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Let it out. Are you ready? You just experienced the greatest positive you're ever going to have in your life. God gave us air in our lungs. And after that, what else is there? But we focus on the negative, focus on the negative, focus on the negative. Why? Because it's, it makes sense. It's all around us. I make light of the negative in politics, but it's not making light. It's true. It's everywhere. It's all over the place. Several years ago, I had an opportunity to, uh, to work on a political campaign. I've actually got a picture uh, of the congressman. I did the first campaign for Dr. Phil Gingrey. He was the Republican candidate for the 11th uh, U.S. Congressional District, and I helped run his... In fact, Jody Peace was, was also one of my helpers uh, on that campaign, and uh, I learned so much. Now, this was a very, very long time ago. He served uh, several, several terms, but I remember clearly sitting uh, with his main campaign director, and the, the campaign hadn't been going for very long, and uh, we were being attacked. It was negative after negative after negative after negative. And I was like, what in the world? What is going on here? And I don't know if I was being naive or if I didn't just understand the nature of politics. But as I'm sitting with this campaign manager, I'm asking, why would they be doing this like this? And his answer was simple. He said, because it works. Wow. 
it works. In that case, the, the thing that attracted me to Dr. Gingry is, is he was very humble and he was genuine. He was a, a, a true believer in Christ. And we agreed on a, on a lot of things. But the campaign, uh, the opposing campaign, it was attack, attack, attack. And it was so negative. And I was constantly blown away with that. And then you, I would see or talk to people. And I would, they'd be like, oh, yeah, Phil Gingrey, he's the guy that blah, 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 blah. And it's like, whoa, 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 that, that's not true. That's, that's not the case at all. That, that's just politics. But we believe it. We dig into that and we don't understand why. Why? Because it's easier. You realize there's no money in peace. There's no money in really in, in happiness, with even, even buying stuff. There, there's no real happiness there. Money is in negative. That's why when you turn on the news, you're going to see negative. It attracts your attention. That's why you turn on your social media. There's a reason that the algorithms are set to attract the word hate or mad or angry or discouraged. Those algorithms are going to pop those words up more and more and more because those are the words that you're going to pay attention to. And we fall for it, don't we? So then we have to ask ourselves, we have to look at three things I think are really important. Listen to this. Three reasons why we would call ourselves Christians and allow Satan to twist the truth. The first one is very simple. We're not actually Christians. Ever thought about that? Whoa, that got everybody's attention. That's so funny. When you're preaching a sermon and you say something like that, all of a sudden half the room actually like looks up and like, whoa, what'd he say? Yeah, listen to it again. Three reasons why we would call ourselves Christians and allow Satan to twist the truth? Well, we're not actually Christians. I would imagine that would be a pretty shocking comment coming in this place, in this room. And I don't want to imply for a second that a lot of you aren't. Most of you probably are. But have you ever really thought about what that means? So when I'm looking at this line, I'm digging into this passage because I want to know every little passage, every little word, what I'm, what I'm talking about First place I start is where I always start with a word, the Webster's Dictionary. Look at the definition for the word Christian. This is kind of fascinating. I've highlighted in yellow, and I, I'm really confused by this, and I, I really want to spend a lot more time with this. Christian, noun, one who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. I think that is an excellent beginning to the definition, but isn't it just that, the beginning Think about it. Don't we profess belief in all kinds of different things? I profess a belief that I am a University of Auburn football fan, and it's made my hair turn gray, and I'm just mad about it all the time. Amen? Yeah. No snarky comments, because I also profess a belief that I have a microphone and you don't. So, easy. First service got a little mean with that, but thank y'all for, for, not, for not doing that. Listen to this. One who professes belief in the teachings of Jesus Christ. You know what? I think there are a lot of Christians who profess a belief. But are we to the very best of our ability living as close as we can to the life of Jesus the Christ? Are we just saying words? Are we just showing up in a room and singing some songs and kind of hoping for the best? The second one is, is even equally simple. We think we're above scriptures. The second reason, three reasons why we would call ourselves Christians and allow Satan to twist the truth is we think we're above that. You know, Pharisees are still a thing. 
We don't really think about that. Now, we slam on Pharisees a lot. You know, the truth is in Scripture, there was actually a positive place for Pharisees, and, and there, was a, there was a lot of good about, about that concept. We make it such a negative thing for good reason, but it's still true today. We have a lot of Pharisees in the church. We spend some of our, our staff meetings talk about that, that concept all the time. So what does that mean? Are there Pharisees today? Yes. Now, I've heard a pastor many, many years ago refer to modern, modern Pharisees, and, and hear me out, as, now, now remember, there were priests back then, so not necessarily uh, the teachers of the word, but, but uh, lay leaders, right? Deacons, uh, committee members. And, and he was talking about how that's like today's Pharisees. I don't, I don't think that's a fair assumption, but that does kind of move us in a, in a direction. But there are denominations, there are cultures that where that is kind of true, but ultimately, are we people that because of our professed faith because of our church attendance that we want to lord over whatever rules or regulations or opinions or whatever you fill in the blank i think we do sometimes we think we're above scripture why is that well satan has twisted our relevance in the church and the third reason that we would call ourselves christians and allow satan to twist the truth is simple we think we've got plenty of time to figure it out. Don't we all think we've got plenty of time? I'm doing this uh, study with my students on Wednesday night. We're in Revelation chapter 1. The plan was to be in Revelation chapter 1 for one week, and then we've ended up, we've been there for three weeks. And that's kind of a whole premise. The end is near. It's closer than we think, and we don't like that, but we've been kind of hammering that concept over and over and over in different ways. And that's true for us. Hey, we'll always do it tomorrow. We'll always do it the next week or our next year. We'll always get it right. But here's the truth. Are you ready? I don't have time to go to Walmart. I don't have time to do, well, I don't know how to do my kid's homework. My son's 11. I can't help him with his math. But we don't have time for that, much less the bigger picture of we want out of life. Why? Because Satan has twisted our longevity, and we've allowed him to do that. And still, listen, he doesn't stop, does he? He's not going to stop. Why? Third point, Satan will dismiss the consequences. Listen to verse 5. I love this. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. I love the way this starts. You hear what Satan says? He says, in fact... He makes it clear as a bell. Now, I don't know about you guys when you talk or, or when you're doing a, a testimony or giving a presentation, but I talk to my own children and our students about this all the time. I love it when our students, especially our own student leaders, either come up and do some testimony time or maybe we do interviews. Uh, I, I think it's very important that they speak into what we're doing. And we do that a lot in the, in, later on in the year. But because of COVID, if you remember a couple of months ago, we had quite a few videos of, where some of our students were just sharing their testimony, just talking about what God was doing in their lives. I didn't want to coach them as to the content that we're, they were talking, on, uh, talking about, but I wanted to, to make them understand how they can have impact 
with their words. So I told them very plainly, don't stay away from words like, I think. Stay away from words like, I believe. Why? And this is true. We don't think about it. Nobody cares what you think. Nobody cares what you believe. They care what you know. They care what's in your heart. And when Satan starts this passage so emphatically, in fact, God knows. I would imagine because he's dismissing the consequences that that really would have gotten Eve's attention. And here we go. That's what we do. We, we do that thing all the time. When Satan states, in fact, we look at our world and we say, in fact, it's okay to cheat. It's not really hurting anybody. There are no consequences. It's not a big deal. Really? Think about that. Or when we say, in fact, it's okay to, to open our phone or our computer and look at that. It's not hurting anybody. There's nothing that's going to happen because of it. There are no consequences. Yes, there are. Or when we say, in fact, it, it is okay to date this married person or, or that married person or have an affair or do this or that because nobody's going to find out. It's not that big of a deal. There are no consequences. Really? Or when we say, in fact, you know, it's only a couple of drinks, only three drinks. It doesn't impair me. It's not that big of a deal. There are no consequences as a result of that. Really? And how many times have we seen these things go wrong over and over? Why? Because it's a lie. In fact, there are consequences. And we're ignoring all of these problems because when we see a pastor on a stage saying, Satan's going to cast out, he's going to twist the truth, and he's going to dismiss the consequences, we know that that's going to happen. The problem is, now we see it in red. It's not a maybe, it's a will. Satan will cast doubt. Satan will twist the truth. Satan will dismiss the consequences. And then we're all going to sit in a church service and we're going to say, no, I just don't understand why my, my life isn't being blessed the way I feel it ought to be blessed. Because Satan's got it figured out, right? And that's where we cop out, don't we? The devil made me do it. That's what we say, right? The devil made me do it. Or worse, we quote a little scripture. You know, hey, listen, I know I'm doing this dumb thing, but scripture says everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God, so I'm good, right? Wrong. That's just a cop-out. We want to make ourselves feel better. And that's where Jesus comes in. That's where grace comes in. That's where mercy comes in. You know, the beautiful part of God's plan is that he doesn't want us to all be robots. He wants us to choose for ourselves, will we follow him or will we choose not to? Nobody wants to be liked simply because someone else is making you like them. That's no fun. That doesn't make any sense, right? God created us to worship him. But because he is a just and true God, he gives us that choice. We can turn away. And when we have a situation where there's doubt being cast or truth being twisted or consequences being dismissed, that makes that very, very easy to do. Now, this is a simple, consequence, simple concept, isn't it? We all get this. I love when I'm preaching a sermon and I have almost every eye in the room. And I do right now. It's kind of fascinating because that tells me that you're with me, right? 
And I would imagine that just about all of us, especially those of you that have been in church for a while, you could, you really could, you could come up. And this is not an adult thing. You know, if you're eight, you could probably come up here and you could explain the whole concept of how Satan is, is, is manipulating us into the negative that he wants for us, right? The problem is even that's harder than you think. Why? Because we hear it all the time. Again, those meetings, those counseling sessions over and over and over, we can articulate the good, but living, it's a different thing. There's this comedian. I saw this thing. It was a Christian comedian several years ago. His name was Ken Davis, and he did this illustration that's pretty powerful. And it's really simple. He, um, he asked the audience to believe that there was a rope, and it was tied uh, up to the top of the stage. And hanging down, I can't remember what he said exactly, but we'll call it a big rock. And I love science. I, I'm really into science. So his illustration was, uh, if you took the rope and you tied it and, and you got over to one side of the stage and you put the rock on your nose and you let go of the rock, what's going to happen? It's going to swing across the stage and it's going to come back. Now, this is very simple science. Newton's first law of motion, and then we throw in some gravity and inertia. Not a big deal. Every one of us in this room know that if we stand here and we put the rock here and we let it go, the rock's going to go across and it's going to come back, but it's not going to hit us. That is, that is very basic science. But here's reality. In reality, if I were to call one of you up here and have you stand right here and you promised you weren't going to move and I had a huge rock and I let it go and it swung across the room, what's going to happen? You're going to go back. Amen. She's like, heck Yeah. We're, as soon as the rock goes away, there's going to be a certain amount of doubt that's going to be cast, right? And then you start going up, and your mind, you're going to start twisting the truth. You're going to think, and thinking, you're going to think, am I still standing in the exact place? I, did I move forward? Should I move backwards? What should I do? And then you're going to ruin the experiment, right? You're going to dismiss the consequences. You're going to be like, I know that guy wants me to stand right here. But that rock is coming towards my nose as fast as it can. Forget him, and you're going to back up, right? That's what we do. We can explain that. We can articulate that. But in our real life of dealing with whatever crazy we're dealing with, Satan moves in, and he casts that doubt, and he twists that truth, and he changes those consequences in such a way that we allow them to seep in. And that's when the crazy happens. I love this passage of scripture. We use this passage a lot, but I think it's beautiful. Look at Ephesians chapter two. You don't have to turn there, I've got it. Ephesians two, verse 10. Are you ready? For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things he planned for us long ago. The problem with this passage is that most days, I don't feel like a masterpiece. Most days, I, I don't feel like that at all. Most days, I look at this person or that person or this situation or that situation, and I question my life, I question my decisions, I question my everything. And I think I would imagine that a lot of us, most of us in this room, are dealing, are, are, are in the exact same position in life. I understand that. Because we allow Satan in, we forget that there's breath in our lungs and there's a Savior who died on a cross even when we didn't deserve it. So ultimately, we have to ask ourselves, 
a couple of questions. And listen, these questions are kind of hard. So are you ready? Bear with me. Three questions you need to ask yourself. These are simple. Is there a sin that defeats me? Is there a sin that defeats you? I can't imagine, and don't, please don't do this. I can't imagine that anybody's going to step up and say, yeah, here's a sin that defeats me. I've heard story after story of youth pastors that have been in this situation where you've been in a little circle talking about things, and you go around the room, and some kid says something super crazy. I, I understand that. that, that ha- well, actually, that's, that's happened with me. But you need to ask yourself right now, is, this, is there a sin that defeats me? See, the problem is we want to walk right up to the sin line right up to the crazy line, and we want to stand there and we want to enjoy life as much as possible. And if we get too close to the sin line and things start going crazy, we just want to kind of back off a little bit, right? And kind of just back off the sin a little bit and kind of hope for the best. I was telling my students uh, a few days ago, I actually got pulled over at a stop sign. Uh, I rolled through a stop. There's a state trooper. His name's Capehart. He's good at his job. But anyways, (laughs) he got me. And um, so I rolled through the stop. But it reminded me of an old story. So there was this guy, and he was driving down the road, and he pulled up at a stop sign, and he didn't stop. He just kind of rolled through the stop, and he kept going. And he didn't see the cop, and we'll call him Officer Capehart. And um, he pulled him over, and he says, hey, why didn't you stop at that stop sign? And the guy's like, well, hey, I, I didn't, I, you know, I, I slowed down. I, I kind of rolled through the stop, so, you know, it's okay. I, I slowed down. So the officer pulls out his billy club and just starts beating on the guy over and over and over, starts hitting him. And this is what he says. He says, hey, listen, son, do you want me to slow down or do you want me to stop? That's how we need to think about our sin life. Rolling through the stop isn't good enough. Is there a sin that defeats you? Did Satan dismiss the consequences? No, second question. Second question. Do I blame others or even God for my sin? Hey, nobody likes to take responsibility for their dumb stuff, right? I understand that. It's hard. When you do something dumb, you go, well, that was dumb. I shouldn't have done that. But it's even worse a lot of times. I was teaching this, uh, at this high school several years ago, and uh, it was a really big music program, a big band room. They couldn't keep it locked all the time because... There's just too much action in the, or too, too many people coming through the building. And uh, we started noticing things were disappearing. Little things were disappearing over and over and over. So one day I was walking through uh, the band room. There's this huge storage room. And I saw this kid who I didn't know that wasn't in the program. And he physically had his hand in a purse. And I walked by and I was like, dude, what are you doing? And he's like, nothing. And uh, I knew, hey, here's our guy that's been stealing stuff. So I, I didn't physically snatch him up. Well, it's back then. I may have. Um, Snatched the guy up and took him to the, the vice principal, was a big guy, incredible guy. And I was like, this is the guy I think has been stealing stuff. I just caught him. He had his hand in his purse, blah, blah, blah. So I turned him over. I went uh, about my business. And so that afternoon, they called the kid's mom, and she came over to the school and met with uh, the vice principal and the band director. And the vice principal explained what had happened, blah, blah, blah. And the, as soon as the mother heard the story, the mother looked straight at the vice principal, and this is what she said. She said, do you have it on camera? Do you have it on camera? Because we don't take responsibility. But what is even more than that? We live in a world where we're not going to let our kids take responsibility for any of their dumb decisions. So then we wonder, negative, 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 negative. Did Satan dismiss the consequences of that sin? And here's the third one. Am I prepared 
to engage my sin. This is the hardest one. Am I prepared to engage my sin? I don't have an illustration for this one. This is the moment where you just sit quietly and you think about your world. You think about your life. Are you engaging the sin in your life? I got a letter a few years ago. I've shared this with my students a few times. Maybe you've heard it. I don't know. But it's such a good point that I have to, to read this. A student sent me this mail. I had just come to this church. This was a student from another church. And uh, this is a portion of the letter. Listen to this. You have no idea what a loan is until you've been in prison for a year. I'm in a room with 13 other guys, but I am completely alone. Every night I wake up in the middle of the night, and if you listen, you can always hear someone crying. Sometimes it's me. I can't make myself stop no matter how hard I try, but, if you, but you have to stop because if you don't, it's you who gets that night's Beatings. I wish I had listened to all that stuff you used to say. So when we look at this concept, it's very simple. Satan cast doubts. Satan twists the truth. Satan dismisses the consequences. Can you put those back up on the screen? We get that. We do. But are we taking it to heart? Are we living our life to the best of our ability knowing that that's up against us? Remember where we started? The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. Listen to what Jesus says. Are you ready? I have come that they may have life and that they may have it to the full. Pray with me. Father God in heaven, Lord, you're holy and we're not. And we take these simple concepts and we mess them up and I don't understand why. But Lord, I pray today that we pause and we reflect on, on your word and we apply it to our life in such a way that we're guarded, that we're prepared for the attacks when they come. And when we see the attacks, we know them for what they are and we look to you for the answer. So that at the end of the day, we're growing closer to you and to each other in a mighty way. In Christ Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen.